Chapter Five, Part One of A Common Story by Ivan Goncharov, translated by Constance Garnett, eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Five, Part One. Aduov had reached the zenith of his happiness. He had nothing more to wish for his official duties his journalistic work were all forgotten and thrown aside they had already passed him over at his office he would not have noticed it at all except that his uncle reminded him of the fact pyotr ivanitch advised him to give up trifling but alexander at the word trifling shrugged his shoulders smiled compassionately and said nothing his uncle seeing that his representations were useless also shrugged his shoulders smiled compassionately and said nothing alexander obviously avoided him he had lost all kinds of trust in his gloomy prognostications and feared his cold views of love in general and his offensive insinuations as to his relations with nadinka in especial there was something of triumph of mystery in alexander's deportment his glance his whole bearing he behaved with other people like some rich capitalist on exchange with petty tradesmen condescendingly with consideration thinking to himself poor creatures which of you is master of a treasure like mine which of you can feel like me whose mighty soul and so on he was convinced that he was the only person in the world who so loved and was so loved however he not only avoided his uncle but all the herd as he said he was either worshipping his divinity or sitting at home in his study alone brooding over his bliss analyzing it dissecting it to infinity he called this creating a world of his own and sitting in solitude he certainly did create for himself a world of some kind out of nothing and lived for the most part in it and he went to his office rarely and reluctantly calling it a miserable necessity behold him sitting in his armchair before him some sheets of paper on which were carelessly jotted a few lines of poetry he is either bending over the manuscript making some correction or adding a few lines or doubled up in the depths of his armchair dreaming on his lips the smile is playing it is clear that it is not long since they tasted the full cup of bliss all around is still only in the distance from the great street is heard the rumbling of carriages and from time to time yevsay weary of cleaning shoes talking aloud to himself mustn't forget borrowed a hayperth of vinegar some time ago at the shop and a penn'orth of cabbage must pay it to-morrow or the man maybe won't trust me again such a cur as he is sell bread by the pound like the famine year it's a shame oh lord i'm tired there i'll just finish that boot and then to bed at grahay they've been abed this long time no doubt it's very different from here when will the lord grant i see here he gave a loud sigh breathed on the boot and began again to polish it with the brush he considered this occupation a most important one and almost his sole duty and measured the value of a servant and even of a man principally by his skill in cleaning boots he cleaned them himself with a kind of passionate ardour do stop yevsay you prevent me doing my work with your fooling cried aduov fooling yevsay muttered to himself it's not i but you that are fooling and i am doing work just see how he's mudded his boots one can scarcely get them clean he put the boots on the table and looked lovingly at the brilliant polish on the leather get along 
polishing like that fooling he added alexander grew always more deeply buried in his dreams of nadinka and then in his dreams of authorship there was nothing on the table everything which recalled his former occupations his office duties his journalistic work lay under the table or in the cupboard or under the bed the very sight of such sordid things he said frightens the creative impulse and it takes flight like the nightingale from a thicket at the sudden creaking of grating wheels on the road often the dawn found him over some lyric every hour not spent at the lubetzky's was devoted to composition he wrote poetry and read it to nadinka she would copy it out on superfine paper and learn it by heart and he experienced the poet's highest bliss hearing his own creations from beloved lips you are my muse he said to her be the vesta of the sacred fire which burns within my breast if you abandon it it will die out then he sent verses under noms de plume to the magazines they printed them because they were not bad in parts not without force and all animated by ardent feeling and the style was good nadinka was proud of his love and called him my poet yes yours yours forever he added fame seemed to smile before him and nadinka he thought would twine him the laurels to crown his brow and then life life how fair a thing thou art he exclaimed and my uncle he would destroy he would corrupt my loving heart he would pervert it and he avoided his uncle did not go to see him for whole weeks then months and if when they did meet the conversation turned on matters of feeling he kept a contemptuous silence or listened like a man whose convictions cannot be shaken by any arguments he considered his judgments infallible his feelings and opinions unsuitable and decided in future to be guided only by them declaring that he was no longer a boy and why should he be bound by the opinions of others and so on but his uncle was always the same he never asked his nephew about anything and did not or would not notice his whims he was as cordial with him as before and lightly reproached him for coming so rarely to see him my wife is angry with you he said she was accustomed to regard you as a relation we dine every day at home you must come in but alexander rarely went in for he had no time in the morning at the office after dinner till night at the lubetzky's night came and at night he entered the world of his own he had created and continued to create there and besides it did him no harm to sleep a little sometimes in prose composition he was less happy he wrote a play two novels some sketches and travels his activity was amazing the paper seemed to burn under his pen his play and one of his novels he showed at first to his uncle and asked him to say whether they would do his uncle read a few pages at random and handed it back writing above it will do to light the fire alexander was furious and sent them to the magazines but they returned him both of them in two places on the margin of the play was noted in pencil not bad and that was all on the novel the following criticisms were often to be met with weak untrue unreal tedious not worked out and so on and at the end it was said there is noticeable throughout an ignorance of the heart an excess of fervour unreality everything stilted no real human being in it the hero is a monstrosity such people don't exist unsuitable for publication however the author is not without ability he must work 
such people don't exist thought alexander mortified and surprised not exist but i am myself the hero can i describe the common heroes whom one meets at every turn who think and feel like the herd and do what everyone else does the pitiful characters in small everyday tragedies and comedies not distinguished by any special stamp is art to stoop to that he invoked the shade of byron he called on goethe and schiller to confirm the truth of the literary doctrines he professed he considered that a hero fit for a drama or a novel could be nothing else than some corsair or great poet or artist and he made them act and feel accordingly in one novel he laid the scene of the action in america the mise-en-scene was extravagant american scenery mountains and in the midst of all this an exile who had borne away with him his beloved the whole world had forgotten them they loved each other and nature and when tidings were brought them of pardon and the possibility of returning to their native land they refused twenty years after a european arrived there came with an escort of indians to hunt and found on a mountain a hut and in it skeletons the european was the hero's rival how beautiful this story seemed to him with what delight he read it to nadinka in the winter evenings how eagerly she listened to him and to think of not taking such a novel of this failure he did not speak to nadinka he swallowed the outrage in silence and that was the end of it with a sigh he laid aside literary prose for some future time when his heart should be beating more evenly his thoughts would be more in order then he promised himself to set to work properly day after day passed by days of uninterrupted blissfulness for alexander he was happy when he kissed the end of nadinka's little finger sat opposite her in a picturesque attitude for two hours at a stretch not taking his eyes off her sighing and melting with tenderness or declaiming verses appropriate to the occasion truth compels one to state that she sometimes met his sighs and verses with a yawn and no wonder her heart was employed but her mind remained quite unoccupied alexander never exerted himself to give it food the year fixed for their probation by nadinka had passed she was living again with her mother at the same country villa alexander began to speak to her of her promise and begged permission to speak to her mother nadinka would have put it off till their return to town but alexander insisted at last at parting one evening she gave alexander leave to speak to her mother the following day alexander did not sleep the whole night and did not go to his duties he kept revolving the next day in his head he thought of everything he would say to maria mihailovna he was composing his speech and preparing himself but as soon as he recalled that it was nadinka's hand that was in question he was lost in dreams and again forgot everything so he arrived at the house in the evening without having prepared anything but it was not needed nadinka met him as usual in the garden but with a slight shade of pensiveness in her eyes without a smile and with a somewhat preoccupied air you can't speak to mamma now she said that horrid count is indoors count what count why don't you know what count count novinsky of course our neighbour that is his villa how many times you have admired his garden count novinsky calling on you said alexander surprised how did it happen i don't know very well myself answered nadinka i was sitting here and reading your book and mamma wasn't at home she had gone to maria ivanovna 
then it began to rain a little i went indoors all at once a carriage drove up dove-coloured with white cushions the same that is always driving by us you admired it once i look out and see mamma stepping out with a man they came in and mamma said here count this is my daughter let me introduce you he bowed and so did i i felt shy i grew red and ran away to my room but mamma so horrible of her i heard saying excuse her count she is such a wild thing so i guessed that it must be our neighbour count novinsky i suppose he brought mamma in his carriage from maria ivanovna's because of the rain is he an old man asked alexander an old man what an idea he's young good-looking you had time then to see he was good-looking said alexander with annoyance well that's good does it take long to look at any one i just spoke to him ah he is very polite he asked what i do talked of music asked me to sing something but i didn't i really can't sing a bit next winter i shall certainly ask mamma to get me a good teacher of singing the count says it's all the fashion now singing all this was uttered with great vivacity i thought nadezhka alexandrovna observed alexander that next winter you would have other occupations besides singing what occupation what said alexander reproachfully ah yes did you come by boat he looked at her without speaking she turned away and went into the house adouev went into the drawing-room not altogether easy in his mind what kind of man might the count be how should he behave to him what would his manner be like proud or nonchalant he went in the count rose first and bowed politely alexander replied by a stiff and awkward bow their hostess introduced them the count for some reason did not please him but he was a handsome man tall well-made fair with large expressive eyes and a pleasant smile his manners were marked by simplicity refinement and a kind of softness he seemed likely to attract every one but he did not attract adouev alexander in spite of maria mikhailovna's invitation to sit nearer sat in a corner and kept reading a book which was ill-bred awkward and injudicious nadinka stood behind her mother's armchair looked with curiosity at the count and listened to what he said he was a novelty for her adouev did not know how to conceal that he did not like the count the count did not seem to notice his rudeness he was civil and turned to adouev trying to make the conversation general but it was all in vain he was silent or answered yes and no when madame lubetsky happened to mention his surname the count asked whether he was related to pyotr ivanitch my uncle replied alexander briefly i have often met him in society said the count very likely what is there surprising in that answered adouev shrugging his shoulders the count concealed a smile biting his lower lip nadinka exchanged a look with her mother crimsoned and dropped her eyes your uncle is an intelligent and agreeable man remarked the count in a tone of slight irony adouev did not answer nadinka could not put up with it she went up to alexander and while the count was speaking to her mother whispered to him aren't you ashamed the count is so friendly to you and you friendly in his annoyance alexander answered almost aloud i don't want his friendship don't say that again nadinka darted away from him and from a distance looked at him long and fixedly with wide-open eyes then she took up her position again behind her mother's chair and paid no further attention to alexander but adouev kept expecting all the while that the count would go and that at last he would have a chance of speaking to her mother 
but ten o'clock eleven struck the count did not go and kept talking all the subjects upon which conversation usually turns at the first stage of an acquaintanceship were exhausted the count began to make jokes he did this cleverly his jokes were not forced affected nor far-fetched he had a power of interesting a special aptitude for telling things humorously so that not anecdotes only but simply a piece of news an incident or a serious matter he would turn into comedy by a single unexpected word both mother and daughter were heartily diverted by his sallies and alexander himself hid more than once an involuntary smile behind his book but he was raging inwardly the count talked of everything equally well and with tact of music of people and of foreign countries the conversation turned on men and women the count was severe on men himself among them and subtly flattered women in general paying a few compliments to the ladies of the house in particular end of chapter five part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine